One of the most difficult periods in life can be the breakup of a marriage. Tough times, no question about it. I want to tell you about a family law firm I know will provide you understanding and compassion and provide you with exceptional guidance. You'll find it at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker, and Page. They've been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by U.S. News and World Report. And Laura Page and Mary Cox are consistently listed by them with a best lawyer distinction. So if you or someone you know needs assistance, reach them at coxbakerandpage.com, coxbakerandpage.com, and mention you heard it here from me and you'll receive a discount on your initial consultation. Once again, it's coxbakerandpage.com, a family law firm. Hey, everybody, it's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the selected game, the over-under will drop by one point. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code Goodman Podcast when you sign up to hammer the over. Again, that's Goodman Podcast. Go to the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and download it now. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former Rocky and San Diego Padres broadcaster Mark Sweeney talking about his podcast with great stories about getting called up to the big leagues. It's about the methods that your AAA managers told you, how they told you, uh, the craziness of getting to your first game. Also, the phone calls to your to your mom and dad. Plus, Drew weighs in on the Avalanche and Blues first round Stanley Cup playoff series, and more controversy about the unwritten rules in baseball. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman podcast and leave a comment. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman podcast. Hey, everybody! Welcome to podcast number ninety-seven. As always, thrilled you're along with us, and I'm going to begin in the world of hockey. There's nothing more exciting than playoff hockey. We all know that and, uh, out here in Avalanche country. You're excited, as I am, I'm sure, because Avalanche won the President's Cup. They have a team that actually could capture a Stanley Cup, and it would be for the third time uh, for the Avalanche. Now, a couple of weeks ago, you remember I had Mark Mosier on. He's a good buddy and um, longtime uh, announcer for the Avalanche first on radio for a number of years. In the last few years, he's doing television. He does a great job with the, with Peter McNabb. And we were talking about what teams would do in the postseason against the Avalanche to slow them down because they're the best skating team in hockey. And they probably top to bottom, including the blue line, have the most talent in hockey. And there's some other good teams out there. We understand that. But he felt, and and I concur, that teams were going to try to muck it up and be really physical with the Avalanche. And that's why I love what happened in Game 1. And we're taping this uh, with Game 2 coming in a few hours on a Wednesday. In Game 1, St. Louis immediately tried that recipe, if you will, against the Avalanche. And what you rarely see in hockey in the postseason is a fight in this day and age. And you almost never are going to see it with a star-level player. But that's exactly what transpired. Gabe Landeskog, who wears a C on his chest and has since he was a teenager, 
drops the gloves and and absolutely you know wins the fight without question but the fact that he was going to do that and felt it necessary literally moments into the first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs tells you everything you need to know about the awareness of the avalanche and the unbelievable leadership of one Gabriel Landeskog. I mean, he set the tone right there with St. Louis saying, no, uh-uh, we ain't playing that game, all right? Yeah, we know who we are, and we know we can be pretty and, and fly up and down the ice, and we know what your game plan's going to be, but we're not going to stand for it. And that ultimately, though it was close for a couple of periods, the Avalanche ended up with 50 shots. Are you kidding me? And they win going away four to one. That set the tone not only for the series with St. Louis and certainly that evening's game, but for me, that set the tone and sent a message to the rest of the playoff hockey world. You can try that. You can try to be physical, but we're not just a pretty team. We're going to match up to that physicality as well. I love Gabe Landeskog. It made me think of one of my all-time favorite hockey players, a guy who came to stardom in Edmonton and eventually helped the Rangers win the Stanley Cup when they hadn't won one in a couple of generations, the 94 Rangers led by Mark Messier. Mark Messier, and I said this back when he was playing, you could go across the major sports you will not find a better leader. Maybe there's some who are comparable, but you would not find a better leader than Mark Messier. He would do whatever was necessary to win a hockey game. He would be the toughest guy on the ice. He could score a big goal. He could make the primary pass. When he talked in the room, everyone listened. When he talked on the ice, I guarantee you everyone listened. Well, Gabriel Landeskog is cut from the same cloth, and he demonstrated that at the outset of Game 1 against the Blues. I loved it. You know what? Uh, having going, you know, going back in my own career when I was covering the Avalanche and, and had the, the privilege to cover them during the, the heyday in the late 90s, right after they arrived, and they win a cup in 96, and then in 01, and uh, doing pre- and post-game. And and between period stuff, it it was a great joy and it was a great thrill and you and you got to know these guys and there were so many tremendous guys as you know hockey players have that I think deserved reputation for being good guys. Well, I don't know I don't know this group of Avalanche players because I don't cover them, but I tell you what, at some point in time, I want to get Gabe Landeskog on because. He's a guy that I absolutely have the utmost respect and admiration for. I've seen him do countless interviews, and he just, he just, it seems like he handles himself in a perfect manner uh, on and off the ice. So kudos to the Avalanche. I know it's one game. Uh, I'm all in. And uh, Gabriel Landeskog, uh, I think, set the tone for the Avalanche moving forward. All right, let's transition uh, for a moment to uh, baseball. Uh, first, uh, first the, the 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 bad side, and that is, you know, the Rockies don't have a good record, and on the road, as uh, I prepare to go down uh, and call the Rockies and Padres today in Game Three, the Rockies have lost the first two of the series. They lost in extra innings uh, on a Tuesday night on a wild pitch by uh, Daniel Bard. Dom Nunez couldn't handle it, and um, they now are two and sixteen on the road. That's abysmal. That that's awful. Any way you slice it, that is terrible. And there's not a guy in the organization that would tell you any uh, differently. They have always struggled 
on the road and we know dealing with the ball movement and the change from altitude to sea level, we, we, we know all of that. And, and that is true. They have the toughest assignment of any team in baseball. But they have had years, especially when they've gone to the postseason, where they are representative on the road or sometimes even pretty good on the road. Like in, in I think in 2018, uh, they won 44 ball games on the road. I believe it was 44 you know, over 500 set the, the team mark. So they can win away from home. Now, this club is not as gifted as we know, not as talented, not as close um, to what they had in, in 2018. So overall, I look for, and there's the positive, improvements because this is all about opportunity. I've said it on AT&T. I've said it on this podcast many times. This year is about opportunity. This year is a fact-finding mission with some of these lesser service time players to find out who's going to be part of the solution moving forward. And there's a couple of guys, and we'll talk about them more as as they go on, but a couple of guys that uh, I, I feel have made nice strides. I'll start with Ryan McMahon. We've talked about him on on this podcast. And again, as uh, we taped this today, he's got nine home runs. Um, But for me, it's about the quality of at bat. And it's much better than a year ago. His strikeout percentage is down 13%. He's below, below the league average in strikeout percentage. And he's going to do damage because of his light tower power. So Ryan McMahon, who's already been a pretty good player, has made a really nice stride so far, you know, less than two full months into 2021. His defense at both second and third has been outstanding. So Ryan McMahon, he's part of the solution. Garrett Hampson's another guy I want to talk about. And you guys, if you follow me on this, you know I'm a big Garrett Hampson fan. I think there's a lot more in there. We know he has great speed. We know he has a sneaky pop, as we as we call. It. He's probably got a little bit better than that. I mean, he's he's got legitimate pop. I mean, he's on pace right now, probably to hit you know 18 to 20 home runs. He has really dominated against left-handed pitching this year. Against right-handed pitching, not so much, but I think it'll come around because you know in his first uh, couple of stints in the big leagues, he's hit right-handed pitching um, okay or better than he has so far this year. But again, I look at strikeout percentage. He's a guy that was well over 30%. His strikeout percentage is down a considerable amount, which gives him more opportunity to put the ball in play and utilize his legs. So he is another guy that has improved quite a bit in this year of opportunity. And I think we're going to see continued growth. You know, over the next 150, 250 at bats, to me, it's just going to get better. Uh, another guy, Josh Fuentes, reigning nationally player of the week. Josh Fuentes struggled in St. Louis, maybe put too much pressure on himself, did not have a good week leading into that. And then he's, you know, playing against Nolan. And we know the whole storyline there. He comes back the next week at home and goes off five straight multi RBI ball games. Again, culminating with being named National League Player of the Week. Then he takes the act out on the road to San Diego. And we know first game after a road trip or after a homestand, the Rockies, especially in California, are going to do poorly. They did, but he threw out a hit. And then on Tuesday night, he hits a booming double off the center field wall. He also throws out a triple to the opposite field. He He's producing a lot of extra base hits. Would I like to see more walks in there? A little more patience? Certainly. That will come again. See what I just said about Garrett Hampson. As he gets more big league at-bats, that'll come around. He's made a few errors, but he has 
uh, above average ability defensively at both corner spots. So I, I see him improving. And, and those are good things. And that's what we're going to have to look at. You're going to have to look at silver linings this year um, overall uh, with the Rockies. And, and, and sometimes, you know, there's going to be some, some ugly losses. There may be a string of them. Uh, we've seen that already. But who's going to be part of the solution moving forward? And those three guys, I think, in the first couple of months so far of 2021 have shown improvement over where they were in 2020. Now for more good news. Coming back to a ballpark near you very soon, one Kyle Freeland, who it's rare to say this, but he's the leader of that club in many respects as a starting pitcher. Denver native, fiery guy, you know, fourth in the Cy Young a couple of years ago. I thought by and large had a really good year last year and kind of a bounce back after a tough 2019. He was really good in spring training. Thought he was going to be out much longer. It's a great story. Stay healthy, Kyle. He's going to be back soon. That's a great thing. And then all eyes, and maybe, maybe one of, you know, the two most important players going forward for the Rockies the rest of 2021. Maybe you can make a case for he is number one. Brendan Rodgers is coming back from that hamstring injury. You know, as, as again, as we tape this today, you know, he's seven for 15 down in Albuquerque. They're going to bring him up here. You're going to see him in the next few days. I want to see him pick up where he left off in March and where he left off in, in Albuquerque. He was drafted third overall out of high school because he projected to be an impactful bat at the big league level. And when you say impactful bat, you're talking about a 20-plus home run guy who's going to hit for some average, who's going to produce a, a good number of doubles. He has that kind of ability. And he also you know, came up as a shortstop. And depending on what happens with Trevor's story, and you would think the, there's a strong likelihood that they're going to move him because you don't want to get nothing for him. That's pretty obvious. Maybe Brendan Rodgers becomes the heir apparent at shortstop. So these next four-plus months for Brendan Rodgers, number one, stay on the field. And then number two, swing the bat like everyone knows you're capable of. He's you know had less than 100 at-bats in the previous uh, few years at the big league level. Your time is now. And if you're a hardcore Rockies fan and you're looking again for players that are going to be part of the solution and get the Rockies back into uh, a place where they can contend, Brendan Rodgers has to be a big part of that. And it's not going to happen overnight. I'm not expecting him to come up here and, you know, and talking on this podcast, you know, a month from now where, yeah, he's got nine home runs in his first month and he's driven in 30. I mean, that would be outstanding, man. Who wouldn't take that? But there has to be the natural evolution for him because his time is now. He senses it. We talked to him in spring training. He knows this is his time. You know, he's 24 plus now, be 25 later in the summer. So I'm excited about seeing Brendan Rodgers, certainly excited about seeing the return of Kyle Freeland. All right, a little bit uh, later on after the uh, after the. Part two of our interview with uh, Mark Sweeney. I'm going to talk a little bit about that situation in Chicago with the White Sox, Tony LaRusso, and Yermin Mercedes hitting a home run on a 3 0 pitch. We'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, Mark Sweeney, we did part one last week. Uh, just a, a terrific guy who has a real good feel for the game and had great stories from playing it for so long 
and uh, now in broadcasting at the San Diego Padres. So in part two, you're going to hear thoughts and stories on being around some of the all-time greats, like Willie Mays, who was always in the clubhouse with the Giants, the late, great Tony Gwynn, and some of the uh, young, great players he's around now with the Padres. I think you'll enjoy part two. It's a former Rocky, former 14-year big leaguer, and current uh, broadcaster on television with the San Diego Padres, Mark Sweeney, with our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. I said this on the air the other day, Sweeney, that... that there, there's Cooperstown. If you get to Cooperstown, you're you're friggin' unbelievable naturally because yeah. it, it's hard to. Of all the Hall of Fames, the hardest to get into is the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, and then there's a penthouse, and there's only yeah. a few folks that can reside in the penthouse in Cooperstown. You know, Mays, Ruth, we know the names, right? When you were around the Giants, because back then, Willie was in the clubhouse every day, he'd play cards, and he had that little room as you walk in off to the right, and, and he'd hold court, I'm sure, with you guys. Yeah. Do you have any stories or, or reminisce about when you would see him, when you'd walk in at 2 in the afternoon and he was there? Yeah, Drew, uh, the, the greatest part was uh, our clubhouse guy in San Francisco is Mike Murphy, who you've met plenty of times. Mike Murphy was brilliant. He started as a bat boy with the San Francisco Giants when they came out west. Spent 60 years in that that uniform in that clubhouse. He would open his office to Willie McCovey, Willie, Willie Mays. And there'd be other guys coming in, especially if there was a special night um, honoring certain players or teams for the Giants and their history. They did a fabulous job. But to your point, when Willie Mays was in your locker room, um, I was starstruck. And and I was never like that around a lot of the other players. I always tried to be the, the little brother or the, the kid that wanted to ask the questions. So I would always recognize that there were certain people that needed Willie's time and, and wanted to take his time. But when he was by himself or, or maybe one or two guys at the table when he's playing cards, I'd go over there and listen, and I would definitely throw a question in. I always remembered – the fact that I was nervous around him because he was greater than than the stars that I was always enamored by. Um, to your point, he was in the penthouse. Everyone knew he was arguably the best player ever to play the game. But, man, did his smile resonate through everything and just absolutely loved the game. He, he spoke to the truth of baseball of go out there and perform and, and, and be, be the player you're supposed to be. Those are the things that resonate with me, but just listening to his conversations with Barry, because Barry became a little kid around him. Um, there was that respect part, but he he was asking questions just as much as we wanted to. So Willie Mays was greater than than uh, than most, obviously, around the game. Um, I was just blessed. That it just signified why I was in the Giants uniform, and I was learning from one of the greatest ever. You were so fortunate because you got to truly be around some of the all-timers. And, and one, you know where I'm going with this, we lost way, way too young. But there was, for me, um, one of the most affable superstars that I've been fortunate enough in in in, in my role uh, to be around was, was Tony Gwynn. 
And um, and you got to spend a lot of time, obviously, with Tony. What 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 do you take away from your time on the field and in the booth with Tony? Uh, with Tony, it was the consistency that I marveled at. Um, you remember the left-handed specialist when we didn't have a three-batter minimum. They they would bring him in. He'd be the sidearm, whether it was Dennis Cook or other guys that would do a sidearm lefty like a Mike Myers. Um, Tony flourished in those situations. He always had three hits. It almost seemed like um, didn't strike out, which this day and age everyone's striking out. Um, it, it was amazing to watch him work. And I always say this, Drew, um, the late Ken Caminetti, uh, so many guys that we've lost, but Wally Joyner, Steve Finley, and Tony Gwynn out there early at 2 o'clock in the afternoon hitting with Merv Rettman at the old Qualcomm Stadium. I'd walk in, and, I'd, of course, I'm ready to hit the cages, and I get to watch them perform and, and work at their craft. So I'd walk out and be behind the batting cage, and Tony had the ability to hit rounds of 10 and he would take two rounds, carve the ball to left field, carve the ball to left field, hit a couple to center, line drive after line drive, and you'd hear the sound off his bat. And then he would take the third round and maybe take three or four swings. And on the fourth swing, he'd just walk out of the cage and look at Merv and goes, I'm good. And he had the ability to do that where all of us are taking 10 or 12 swings and taking as many rounds as we can. He knew – and he was masterful about a feel for how his swing was. And uh, it was fascinating to watch him at his craft because, man, talking about a magic wand, it was a magic wand. He could do anything. Uh, there was a time, too, another story is that Merv Ratman and I were sitting next to each other, and it was a day game. And he he gets up there, and, and it's his first at bat, and Merv says to me, he goes, I hope he gets a hit here. And I remember looking up at the scoreboard, and he was hitting 322. And I, I think that's pretty good, right? 322. Yeah. And I said, what do you mean? He, he's got uh, – you hope he gets a hit here. He's hitting 322. And he goes, yeah, he called me on the way home from the game and said his hands aren't in the right place. They're off just a little bit. And I said, man, that's a tenth of the detail. Like, it looks the same to me. You know, if right. I'm looking at it from the side, it looks exactly the same. He's got a – he never changed and never wavered. And he said, well, his hands were in the, a little different position, and he wants to get back to it. Sure enough, two pitches later, he lines at the left, and, you know, he, he becomes hitting 320, 323 right after that at bat. But it's just – it was the attentive of the detail that Tony had – and he did that throughout anything that he did, even in the even in the booth. He was so adamant about how he could be the best he could possibly be. Yeah, there's a common trait, and one one of the things uh, you just said that um, I recall from another tremendous hitter, different kind of hitter, certainly um, that when the feel was good, they wouldn't even finish BP, even if their group had another round or two. They put the bat against the cage, and they were ready to go. And and this was that was Jason Giambi who had the same role you did late in his career. And once he felt right, he didn't feel it necessary to go take another dozen swings just because there was time left in his round. Yeah, Drew. I mean, to to put in comparison, uh, we'd go to the cage before batting practice and take your rounds and and do your routine. Then we'd take batting practice, 
if batting practice didn't go well and you took rounds of, you know, I, I don't know, three, four rounds of, of seven or eight, and then you're, you're finishing up with two or three, you've seen batting practice so many times. If it wasn't good, I'd go back in the cage. Um, because I wanted to try to find something. These guys already found it. It, it, it was really feel. And that surprised me that they were so attentive to their feel. And then once they were ready, it was game on. And they knew they were going to put out two, three, four hits that night. Um, I was looking for a feel as well, but I was looking through repetition. Um, and that's the difference of superstars and uh, elite players and the guys that are just going out there and, and trying to stay in a uniform. We'll have more with my buddy Mark Sweeney in a moment, but first this for Ideal Home Loans. I've known Brent Ivinson now for a number of years. He does a great job of saving you money and has for more than 20 years in our market. He's expanded down to Arizona. Why? Because they're excellent at what they do. They listen carefully. They understand what you may need, and they're going to put you in the best product, and you're going to, they're going to save you the most amount of money. So listen, do as I've done. Do as uh, many I know have done, and call 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. Brent and his team will take great care of you, and uh, you're going to appreciate it each month when you're paying less on your mortgage. So again, it's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. Spring is fully here. It's time to clean up your to-do list with built-in America steel, chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much more. That's S-T-I-H-L, steel, chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and much more. From routine maintenance to total makeover, your steel dealer has the powerful tools and trusted advice you need to make your yard a masterpiece. So visit your local steel dealer. Heck, there's 10,000 plus around the country. Again, that's S-T-I-H-L, and you'll see the full lineup of legendary built-in-America equipment. Find yours at steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. Now more with Mark Sweeney. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the team that you cover on a daily basis. Um, the, the Padres are exciting. Um, they're, uh, they're loaded with, with talent. And you, I guess you have to begin with Fernando Tatis Jr. Because in a game of some great and wonderful players, I don't know if there's anybody more exciting uh, especially two ways, and sometimes it's not always good defensively, but in terms of athleticism and ball jumping off the bat and how he runs the bases and the joy that he seems to play with, Fernando Tatis, I mean, what do you got on him? Yeah, that's where you start, Drew. And to me, it's the love of the game. It's done with a smile. He's a good-looking kid. Um Loves the game of baseball. Grew up with his dad um, that also was a big leaguer, as you know, and um, it resonates with me. He, he takes a lot of pride. He takes he he he, um, he honors the game, even though he does it with flash and flair. And he's the new style guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he was the face of baseball um, because he, he, you know, th- this is a guy that wants to be that. Um, He's got ability, as you mentioned. He's, he can hit the ball in the ballpark. He can steal your base. He runs the bases hard. Um, defensively, he has struggled this year, but last year he's spectacular. He's gone through injuries um, that have kind of derailed that um, that excitement this year. He's got a subluxation of his of his left shoulder, 
so it's it, I, I would say this he's probably playing at 80 90 percent but at that point um he's an elite player he's he's fun to watch uh you, you can't take your eyes off him you want to watch him at bat um He's just fun for baseball, and, and I think if you look at Ronald Acuna Jr. and Fernando Tatis Jr., I think those are the two youngest players that are so fun to watch, uh, and and I get to see him on an everyday basis. So, uh, as you know, watching the Trevor stories of the world, when you see uh, those type of players every day, it, it, it's fun. Yeah, there's such a great – athleticism, not that it didn't exist exist before in the game, but there's some really exciting, young, talented, impactful guys. Um, you, you, there's two two other guys I want to mention really quickly. Machado, everybody knows, but um, I, I, I've said this also on the air because most fans never are going to get close enough to the field to see Manny Machado. And I remember the first time I met uh, him, the thing that I was taken aback by a little bit was he's much bigger than people probably realize. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think we're doing that more and more when we go on the field is that it, I, I'm I'm amazed at how big these guys are. But, yeah, to your, to your point, uh, Manny Machado, is, is he, he's, he's very big. Um, not to the like he he is just very athletically big, and when he's at third base, you guys know it. Uh, Nolan Arenado is incredible, very athletic, most most amazing plays you could see at third base. Manny Machado makes those plays, but he makes it at a slower pace, meaning he, he just slows everything down, and his accuracy of throws, even though Arenado is the same way. His accuracy of throws from the sidearm is remarkable. Um, he can he can be falling towards the third base dugout and throw from his hip and hit Hosmer at mid chest. It, it is and it's remarkable how he can do that. They're different third basemen, but they are elite third baseman that you see every single night make tough plays look very easy. Yeah, he, he's incredible. The other guy I want to mention, because this guy's really intriguing to me for two reasons. One, I don't think the baseball world knew a lot about him, um, and he's backing up what he did as a rookie in, in his second year, and that's Jake Cronenworth, and he hit one six. I thought he hit one across McCovey Cove yesterday. I thought it was going to land uh, on the uh, you know over the kayaks. Um Watched him pitch earlier this year, and I know he's a really good college pitcher um, also. Is it possible, I'm asking you two questions at once, is it possible that this cat down the down the uh, street can be a, 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 an exceptionally poor man's Shohei Otani where maybe he gives you an inning or two every once in a while? Um, I don't think they want to do that. I, I think they want to keep... Um him in his place and, and being able to be that guy. I, but, man, a two-way player is is getting to the point where, man, you want versatility as much as possible. I think he can do that. I just don't know if that's going to be allowed um, in that sense. I, I just think this organization would like to get him established. But, man, uh, I, I'm all for it when it comes to that, Drew. I, I, I think uh, versatility is fun to watch in the game of baseball. Yeah. 
he he can swing it though now, Cronenworth. He can swing it. He's uh, he's fundamentally sound. Um, when you he, he's he holds his ground against lefties through, and I love that too, as you know. I mean, when you're left-handed hitter and you see left on left, and and they they don't give in. Um, that's the reason why you think Jake Cronenworth is going to be that special dude. Drew has more with former Rocky Mark Sweeney right after this. Hey, I start my day every day with Boyer's Coffee. It's terrific. And I also get it every day that I'm at the ballpark from the uh, Boyer's Cafe. My good friend Deb uh, will trudge it down for me when I can't get over there. It's right there on the club level. And they make outstanding coffee. And they've been in Colorado since 1965. Um, and you can find them in your local supermarket or you can have it delivered, as I frequently do, right to my door by going to boyerscoffee.com. You see all the great flavors, all the great products, and all the accoutrements as well. They are locally operated, locally owned, and they're uh, a great member of our community. They're environmentally conscious. Boyerscoffee.com. You'll love them. Now back to Drew Goodman with Mark Sweeney. Tell us a little bit more about the um, the genesis of Major League Beginnings podcast. That um, you know, I know your, your agent, longtime agent Barry Axelrod's involved. Your co-host Mike Pomerantz, so I know he, you work with him on uh, on broadcast with San Diego. But talk about the the genesis of this because I really think it's fascinating. Yeah, it's great, Drew, and thanks for mentioning it. it this was uh, really a book idea that we wanted to do because I love the stories of someone's call up. Um, as you mentioned earlier, uh, this is the excitement part of a player's, uh, beginning of their, of their big league. Um, I think there's a lot of people that have great stories, but there's also players that don't want to talk about their exploits as RBIs or home runs or things like that. But they do want to talk about their call up because it's about the message that your AAA manager told you, how they told you. Uh, the craziness of getting to your first game, also the phone calls to your to your mom and dad and the people that you absolutely love that you want to possibly make to the first game, and then it becomes the first. And there's there's so many things that we go through. We go through a lot of the players' uh, signature moments, whether it's Aaron Boone's home run and uh, as a Yankee, which we all know, but they dive into some of these stories that are not told and. You know me, Drew. I absolutely love when a listener can understand people that are in the locker room and and get stories that you feel like you're you're in a lot you're five lockers down and you're realizing what's going on. I try to get people into that um, because I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that the veteran guys uh, take you under their wing and give you that luxury of being a, a big leaguer and taking you out to dinner or having conversations that make you a better player. All of those are in our podcast, and it's so great to go over this. We have over probably 50 episodes that are out. We're in our second season, and we've had a blast. We've had Hall of Famers. We have had all-star players. We've had front office people. We've had broadcasters, uh, women in the game that are so important, like a Kim Ng that's the general manager of the Marlins. There's been a there's, there's been a lot of great ones and it's it's a great evergreen listen in our opinion and when Barry Axelrod joins us he gets you the perspective of being an agent with some of his clients and what they went through with shoe contracts and 
aspects that a lot of listeners have never heard before. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's a passion of mine to to have listeners re- resonate with their favorite players um, and also some that you didn't even know about. And you'll realize there's times where you're going to laugh, you're going to cry. Uh, Sean Casey of the Cincinnati Reds, we all know about him. He's known them as the mayor. One of the best episodes we've ever had because uh, he makes you laugh nonstop. Oh, he's he's great. I mean, he he used to crack. It was like every television entity, the obligatory shot of you know Sweeney gets a base hit, and now he's standing next to Sean Casey, and you got to make sure you don't get picked off because Casey's going to chew your ear for the entire time that you're at first base. Exactly right. And I I said this in our podcast too because people don't people think of him as one of the nicest people other than Dave Roberts and. You know, a couple other guys. Mike Sweeney resonates with me, which we've had both of those guys on, too. But Sean Casey, and I brought this up to him. I said, Sean, you used to snap, meaning, like, if he lined out, he was so mad. And he'd go down the bottom of the tunnel and snap his bat in, 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 in frustration. And he's known as the nicest guy. So he answered that for me. And it was really, it, it was a lot of fun. A lot of, there's a lot of laughs, like I said, Drew. And it's to me, uh, being a former player, but also letting people know that these are normal, regular guys and they've had established Hall of Fame, all-star careers. But man, they're regular people. Um, we had Larry Walker on, for example, and Larry, his text back to me was, you know, I don't like doing these things. And I said, Larry, but uh, there's also people that want to hear your stories. And I, I just love Larry Walker. I think the world of him and he came on and, and spent about 45 minutes with us talking. And uh, we heard his whole thing about when he found out he was a hall of famer and he was down in Cabo San Lucas. So um, it, it's great. Uh, it's, it's, it's the beauty of the game of baseball for me. And it's also for our listeners, they're going to hear stories that they've never heard before. And again, it's Major League Beginnings Podcast, right? Yeah, and you can find it on any platform, Spotify, Google, Apple, um, as you know, with podcasts. And also you can go on our website, which is MajorLeagueBeginnings.com, and you can see the library of of players that we've had and and personalities around the game of baseball. By the way, Walk, uh, as you well know, because you were teammates and and, and you remain close friends, he still probably once a week will text me in the middle of a broadcast, and it always cracks me up because he's got got one of the driest senses of humor. I I like to say he's a closet funny guy, right? He's the best, Drew, because he's a Hall of Famer, but he was always a little kid playing the game. Yeah. Um, and, and being in that locker room, you're looking over at this big, huge locker, and he's going to go out there and throw three hits out there and, and hit a bomb in, over the right field wall, play great defense. But he also had fun. He was the guy that came in the locker room, and he would say, do you think I can hit that water bubbler over there with a baseball and have the water come out of it? And I'm, I'm like, no, you can't do that. And sure enough, he'd throw a ball over there and hit the button on the bubbler, and it would it would spout water out, and I'm like, you're a freak. He he was a freak of nature with anything that he could do. Um, but man, he he had a lot of fun and absolutely loved playing in the game. Because I'll tell you what, this is a cool story, Drew. He had the ability uh, when he got traded. Um, he got traded, as you remember, to the Texas Rangers, and he denied it because he had veto rights. 
And I was in the locker room with him, and he was bawling his eyes out because he didn't want to leave. And it was a tough thing. And when he went to St. Louis, he was just ready because I, I think he was ready to, to do a new adventure. But, man, what he did in the Cardinals uniform uh, made it special because if he went to a Texas uniform, he wasn't going to do anything, and they weren't going to go anywhere. And he went to St. Louis and was on the biggest stage. So, um, to me, I don't think a lot of Rockies fans understand the impact that they had on his career and, and what he did. But I saw it in the locker room, and, man, I, I felt like I was going to cry too because he's – he, he was an icon in that city. Yeah, he um, he's a he's an interesting he was an interesting cat to say the least, and uh, I still enjoy enjoy our visits. All right, I'm gonna li- I, I lied to you because I, I want one more thing because you were you were all world in this in this regard, and when you played for the Dodgers, there's no better place. I'll explain this. Give a little give a little backstory to it. Uh, when you get to the ballpark, if you're there early enough, you know, a few minutes before, you know, the guys come out and actually play the game, there's usually a ceremonial first pitch. Well, it, it's usually at a different level in L.A. because it's always going to be some star. And usually the person who catches that first pitch, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, used to get like a hundred bucks or maybe a gift certificate or something. Um, and it was somebody typically that wasn't starting um, that day. Well, if there was a first-team All-Pro, like in football, for catching the first pitch in a Dodger uniform, it was my boy Mark Sweeney. Yeah, of course. <laughs> hey, first off, Drew, you got You can't be in the lineup. So I, I had that check that box because I probably wasn't in the lineup. And I, you always have to be in the lock in the dugout to be asked. And I was always in the dugout early because I wanted to, I wanted to see the atmosphere. But there were a lot of there were a lot of people that were throwing out the first pitch that um, you know you wanted to be out there whether they were actors or uh, people in, in the limelight and I went out there and there was one time Drew and I, you know this um, there was a dancer on Dancing with the Stars that was out there and I'm about to catch the pitch and she's out there warming up and all that stuff and I said okay and. And I, I think it was Russell Martin said, hey, I, I guarantee you won't hug her after she throws the first pitch in. Because usually you hand the ball to him, you say thank you, and you take a picture. Well, I said, okay, watch me. And there it is. I, I, I caught it, go out there, give a big hug. And I thought I just wanted to be something different. I didn't want, I didn't want to just hand her the ball and say thank you. I wanted to thank her by embracing. <laughs> how, much, how much money did you win off, Martin? Yeah, he, he didn't. He would never pay because these guys actually like they didn't have any money. But he should have taken me for dinner. But it, he gave me a big high five and he goes, "Man, I, I I can't believe you did that." But yeah, you know that's the, that's the life of a pinch hitter, Drew. That's what the life is. Uh, you want to know what? And, and doing that in L.A. was uh, especially uh, especially bene- beneficial, I suppose, at times. So there you go. There you go. Hey, listen, um, we're taping this on a Monday. It's going to come out on Thursday. You and I just learned uh, on your side and my side, uh, we got banged today. No uh, doubleheader on, on Wednesday, seven innings uh, apiece. So enjoy the rest of your day off, man. It's always great catching up. And, and hopefully when this uh, this pandemic officially subsides and we can get back on the road, uh, we'll go have a cold one. 
Uh, Drew, I'm looking forward to that, and, and always uh, thanks for having me, and I love talking ball with you. Yeah, any, any time, and continued success uh, on the air, in your personal life, and with the podcast as well, brother. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, Swain's a good man. He is uh, he is a real good man, good people, and he's uh, he's one of those guys that I enjoy, always enjoy uh, visiting with. And uh, he was privileged to play with uh, a lot of tremendous players in his career and also be around some tremendous people. And for me, you know, Willie Mays, you know, my late father told me so many stories about watching him um, when he was in New York, watching him play growing up, and, and he said he was the best. None better than uh, than Willie Mays, and that is hard to argue. Hey, in addition to catching uh, Mark Sweeney's uh, podcast, which sounds fascinating, a reminder to catch the DNVR boys. That's Drew Creesman and Patrick Lyons. I join them every week. They cover the uh, the Rockies as well as anybody, and they do it on a day to day basis. So download uh, the DNVR Rockies uh, podcast and, and take a listen on a regular basis. Before we get out of here. I want to touch on one of the unwritten rules in baseball because you know there's like 30,000 unwritten rules in baseball. And um, rule number 28,435 came up this past week uh, in the White Sox-Twins game. Now, the White Sox were blowing out the Twins. Ninth inning, the Twins has become customary now. They throw a position player um, in uh, in the late innings so they don't burn out their, their pitching staff. And uh, the young slugger, I want to say young, he's 28, but he's a rookie. You're Mercedes, who's hitting, you know, 360 plus with a ton of home runs and RBIs and bats cleanup for Tony La Russa, comes up in the ninth inning and uh, the, he he gets ahead 3-0 and and he swings at like a 45 mile an hour, you know, lob <laughs> into him and hits a home run. And it became very controversial and more so. Now, he got thrown out the next day. Um, in, in the in the next game against the Twins, but it can't be. It became it, it got blown up because Tony Larusa, his manager, did not come to his defense. He basically threw him under the bus and said, "You know, this is going to be addressed internally." He indicated almost like there's going to be some sort of consequence, whether it be a fine or who. Not. I mean, was he going to make him run laps? I have no idea. But Tony Larusa elevated this. There were a lot of ways he could have handled it without coming out and basically criticizing his young slugger. It didn't play well, it sounded like, in the White Sox clubhouse. Lance Lynn, veteran pitcher who pitches for the White Sox, he had his back on social media, not not Tony's back, Mercedes' back. And he said, hey, if they don't want him to hit the ball out of the ballpark in that situation, you're worried about um, the score, then put a real pitcher in the ball game." And I kind of concur. Would would I have liked him to take a pitch three and zero? Yeah, maybe in a perfect world. But I'm not upset with this because guess what? Hitting's damn hard. He could have very easily taken a big mighty cut and hit a dribbler to short or hit a towering pop up to center field. Hitting's hard. And guess what? Had he done that and lost two points on his average or three points on his average, still early in the season, that would have been fine, right? Hitting's damn hard. You don't have to apologize. If they throw out the shortstop all of a sudden because they're getting blown out and you rip a double into the gap, you need not apologize. And if the other team doesn't like it, play better or put a legitimate pitcher on the mound. Hitting's hard. And I and I have a problem with the fact that Tony La Russa um, 
was critical of his own player there. He could have maybe privately said, hey, next time, you know what, if it gets to that point, 3-0, take a strike, and then by all means, you have every right to, to swing at a pitch. But I wouldn't say publicly, yeah, there's going to be consequences inside that clubhouse. Now, now people have been critical of Tony um, because he's, he's come back. He was Jerry Reinsdorf's guy, and he's 76, and would he be able to relate to younger players? Um, I, I, last time I looked, which was – you know, before starting this podcast today, the White Sox are in first place in the American League Central by about two and a half games. They're playing over 600 baseball, and they've lost a couple of significant uh, players. Roberts out for the year, Eloy Jimenez, they hope to get back late in the season, and yet the very talented White Sox are doing just fine with their manager who supposedly wasn't going to be able to relate to younger players. They're doing fine. Don't agree with Tony on this particular instance, um, but the overall criticism, which is emanated from the south side of Chicago on a regular basis with the folks that cover them, may not be fully warranted. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Drew Goodman Podcast, 97 in the books, closing in on 100. Wow. Um, We'll have a special guest again next week. Special thanks again to uh, Mark Sweeney for joining us. You all stay well. Keep those avalanche rolling. Hopefully the uh, Rockies can get on a little bit of a roll going in the right direction uh, as well. Till next week, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody.